Well, good morning, Grace Community Church and visitors that may be here with us today. We are glad to see each and every one of you. Actually, I did not see you in the back, Scott Briggs. Um, it's, it's still good to see you. It's still good to see you. Do not let him run over me later, Sue, okay? Protect me. I'll tell you like I tell our youth group, we should be able to make fun of ourselves, right? If, if you cannot make fun of yourself, I'll do it for you. That's, that is what I tell the youth group. It's a big motto, and I live by that. I enjoy that. Today, and speak, speaking of youth group, today the, the youth group here at Grace Community Church is going to lead the service. So that's our logo behind us, the 412 ministry. Um, I'm actually, believe it or not, one of the youth leaders um, here at Grace. Um, we've got Corey Cooper. going to teach us later. He does a great job on Wednesday nights. I am, I'm not the teacher. Corey leads our youth ministry, does a great job teaching. I personally am what they call the encourager. We, we have kids. If you've got teenagers, they come in there week after week, and they're like depressed or just down in the dumps. So every week, it seems like, I have to put my hand on a kid's shoulder and say, look, it's going to be okay. It's only going to get worse. And, but then, then what I do is I pull out a picture. I keep a picture of Thad Blunt. And so I, sh- I showed them a picture and said, this could be you. So they all get to film. That seems to pick them up immediately. I find that showing anybody a picture of them because of Thad makes, him, makes them immediately feel better. So, Thad, you're an encourager too. I just want you to know that. Uh, and speaking of, of getting worse, things getting worse, I, if, if you're like me, 2020 has been a tough year. seems to have gotten worse since last year. But I feel like, and I hope you do too, that we are getting back to some level of normalcy. We're, we're, we're rounding that corner, I believe. I do believe that. And, and if you're looking for signs, all you've got to do is look at yesterday in that game where Bama put a beat down on their little brother. And it's like, okay, things are getting normal again. In, in fact, in fact I, I personally have a theory. I could be wrong, but I think it was last year's miraculous loss, you know, miraculous loss to Auburn that, that put us on this downward spiral. I, bl- I believe that. I could be wrong, but, but yesterday gave me a, it's just a sign that things are going to get better. If, if the coach for Bama looks at the schedule and says, we're playing Auburn, okay, well, hey, I'm just going to sit at home on the couch and watch this game. You guys got this. <laughs> then you know we're, we're almost there, people. We're almost there. I, Thad can give me an amen on that. He, he's, he's, can I get a roll tie? No, no. I, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Thad's a big Arkansas fan. You know, did, who here knew that Arkansas had a football team? Anybody? They do. And, folks, another side, it's just miraculous. They've won a few games. It's amazing. And, unfortunately, though, from what I hear, what I hear is that um, their coach, I don't remember his name, but apparently Alabama was scheduled to play Arkansas next week, and that got pushed off and, Anyway, I th- I, they're going to play LSU. Where's George? Oh, he didn't show up. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. But anyway, the Arkansas coach called the SEC and said, can we, can we postpone this game a week or so? And he said, I really want to just try to level the playing field. So I tell you what, in fact, let's postpone this game one or two centuries, and I think we'll be there. Because you guys, y'all are turning the corner. I do believe it, my friend. Anyway. I'm not up here to make fun of Arkansas because that would take way too long. Uh, I'm, in fact, I'm not even here to, to make fun of Auburn. My Auburn friends, if you're here, 
I'm, I'm an Auburn supporter. I don't care what team you pull for. You need to support Auburn. They are part of the, the Alabama family, right? And not only that, without Auburn, the world would just not be as funny a place. They bring so much joy and jokes to our lives. I, I, we've got to support them. It, and I, Listen, Auburn fans, if, if you're looking for my car later, I didn't drive, I walked, so don't, don't go flatten my tires. Don't do anything like that. But anyway, I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to make fun of Auburn or Arkansas, but I would like to, to talk to you today about Alabama. I, was gonna, I thought about getting up here and maybe making fun of Alabama. But then I realized I don't want people coming to my house, maybe killing my trees, because they're known to do that. And I'm not saying Bama fans are psychotic. I think that goes without saying. I, I believe. I, I do believe that. They're, they're a little over the edge. In fact, I don't want to wake up with a bloody big owl head next to me. Uh, not again. The, the time my wife did that to me, it, it, was a, it, it traumatized me. Because you may think, well, Amanda wouldn't do something like this. She's so sweet. She is a big Alabama fan, if you didn't know that. She's a big Alabama fan. And she told me once, she said, Chris, you better not ever, ever get up there and make fun of me or Alabama. So, folks, I will, she will never hear that. She's never going to hear me get, get up here and make fun of her or Alabama. And some of you are probably thinking, well, she's sitting over here. She's going to hear you. People, I've been married 20-something years. She's never listened to me once. Why would she start today? <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, Van's back there giving me a high five. Joyce must not be here. I, I don't know. Oh, so my phone's going off. Okay, actually... See, see, my wife's texting me right now during this, during this whole thing. And she's saying she wants me to extend an invitation to you all to be here next Friday for my funeral service. So <laughs> what you've seen today is a miracle. She's obviously listening for a change. So praise the Lord for that. I guess I should uh, maybe change topics. So, so I just want to introduce to you, take a moment to introduce to our youth leaders, our youth team. Um, instead of bringing them all up here on stage, Luke put together a video earlier this year when we were starting back in the fall with our students. He put together a video that introduces us all, so I think we're going to just show that video and you get an idea of who we are. So that's our, that's our youth ministry, the 412 ministry, and, and we are going to lead the service today. We're going to have the 412 band, praise band come up and sing a little bit, and then Corey will do some teaching. So wanted to give you an introduction. If you do have any students, 7th through 12th grade, we'd love to have the opportunity for the, to torture them, sorry, to invite them to come hang out with us on a Wednesday night, 630. 
uh, if you've got grandkids, whatever. 7th through 12th grade is what that group is. So they are welcome to come hang out with us. We ha- we do a, Corey does a great job with the teacher. We have a good time. But, but before we get started, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some scripture, and then we'll get started with the lesson. So if you will, stand with me as we read Acts 2, and we're going to start in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for, for the remission of sins, and you, shall be, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord, of our, Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Those who gladly receive his word be, were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they said steadfastly, in the, in the, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as a as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from the house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this Thanksgiving week. Just a remembrance, a time to reflect back of all that we should be thankful for, Lord. And so this week, I just want to say thank you for our Savior, that you sent your Son to die on the cross to take the place for our sins that we deserve, Lord. We thank you for, for that sacrifice. We thank you for your love. We thank you for today. We thank you for all that can be here, for this opportunity to, to just gather together in fellowship, Lord. We just lift up this service. We pray that all that we do will glorify you, and uh, we'll just turn it over to you. And we pray that Corey's words would speak what you would have him to speak, Father. We just pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, If y'all will, just remain standing with us as we praise our Father this morning.
Well, good morning. As y'all can uh, tell, I know Chris had mentioned it multiple times, that we don't let him teach. He tends to say inaccurate and false things. We try to keep that at a minimum. Thank you for your introduction, Chris. And uh, band, great job as normal. Really appreciate y'all's uh, service to the Lord and giving back some of the gifts that he's given y'all. Um, also would like to tell y'all, I don't know if y'all saw my truck parked out front, um, but there are a few students in our youth group who will need prayer. My house was vandalized. My truck was vandalized. Am I doing something? What? Oh, okay, pick up this one. Talk through this. Okay. Um, And apparently I have vandalized the mic. So anyways, just be praying for them. Um, And pray for my heart too. So Um, we're going to be going through Acts today. One of the things um, that I have been going through for the last couple of weeks and months as I was kind of uh, prayerfully considering what I would teach on this morning, and as I prayed through that, the Lord just kind of communicated to me that I should be thinking through some things that have been on my heart for the last year and a half or so, and uh, that's the church. And it's not necessarily just this local church that we have here, but the church as a whole. And um, I don't know how y'all feel about the church as a whole. I'll try and keep my comments on the church to be as positive as possible. But I think we have missed the mark greatly in a lot of areas. And uh, we're going to take a look at some of that today. But I think one of the questions that I kind of went through was, I don't know how y'all are, but when I'm analyzing stuff, it's very easy for me to focus on the negative things. So as I kind of look at the church, I tend to look at all the bad things of the church and go, man, we're failing in this area and this area and this area. And I like to line all these things out and go, look at how awful we are. And I don't know. I guess the Lord just wanted me to look at the church in a positive way. And so that's what I've really been doing over the last couple of weeks, really over the last week and a half, and asking the question, what should the church look like? I think we can all look at the church now and see what it actually looks like, but what should the church look like? And so we're going to be going through Acts chapter 2, specifically 40 through 42. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. Um, But I did think it was really good that Chris read a couple verses earlier to give us a little bit of context. And, um, and so we'll go through that. Before we get started, though, uh, let's pray, because I need that. Father, I want to stop, and I just want to ask that you would guard me. Lord, you... You made me and you know me intimately. You know how easy it is for me to mess things up with my mouth. Lord, I relate well to the man in James. 
Lord, I curse men and I praise you with the same tongue. Father, I pray that you would guard me this morning, protect me. Lord, let me proclaim your truth, nothing else. Lord, help me to be focused. Guard my mind, my heart. Lord, I can only do this through the power of your spirit. Father, I pray that you would give me strength. Lord, and I pray for each of us today that we would look at your word and we would all be teachable. Lord, we would allow your spirit to show us what we're doing good, to show us what we're not doing so good. Lord, and that we would have a heart of repentance. Lord, we would be impacted by your word. And we would start in that process of sanctification in in certain areas, Lord. And I thank you that you were faithful to complete the work that you start. It is in your perfect and holy, holy, holy name that I pray. Amen. All right. So, as I'm thinking about the church, I know a lot of us tend to think about, like, the building church. And so that's immediately where my mind went to. Um, Most of you know the church I grew up in is this church. Um, And those are some of the pictures of the church, that the building that I actually grew up in uh, on Springville Road. And so you can see the outside, uh, the bottom picture there. That's the outside of the front of the church. And uh, behind the church, you have the upper parking lot that we use like twice a year. And I uh, had a basketball goal, which was really cool for those of us in the youth group. And behind where this picture is taken is a hill. And <laughs> the hill, the hill that was weed eated. Don't miss the hill. Um, so you had the hill, and then in the top picture was the sanctuary. And there was that beloved pole in the middle of the sanctuary. I don't know why we don't have that here, but um, I do miss that thing. Um, but anyways, that's, that's the building that I grew up going to church in, and many of us went to church in here. So uh, the Lord blessed us with that church for a while and then saw fit to bless us with this one. Um, but I just wanted to kind of show you the church that I grew up in, um, and then tell you that that's not what we're really, what we're really going to talk about. Um, we're not going to talk about the building today. Um, what we're going to talk about is what is the church, um, and that is the church is born-again believers in Christ. The church is born-again believers in Christ. We're going to see that in this text. What we can see in other areas of Scripture is the church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And the church is the bride of Christ. And so as we're going through um, this section, I think it would be really good, very wise of us to go through it with a mindset of these three things. um, That the church is born-again believers, the church is the body of Christ, and the church is the bride of Christ. I know that as I was studying these three things kind of kept hitting me in my head as I'm going through it. And as I'm analyzing what the church should look like, I'm identifying areas in my life where I'm like, oh, I'm glad people don't see that part of the body of Christ. Oh, I'm glad that people don't see that part of the bride of Christ. 
uh, for me personally. And then there's areas that I'm identifying maybe in the local body here at this church that I'm like, hey, I, I think if people saw us, they would go, yeah, that's the body of Christ. Yeah, that's, that's the bride of Christ. So there was areas where I was kind of almost looking at and judging myself, this church, in context of these things. So I just wanted to kind of throw those out there to you. And I think it's also important that we continue to get some context. Um, so Acts chapter 2, when you start this this chapter, we're not going to go back and read the whole chapter. Um, I'd originally asked Chris to do it, and he was like, no, I'm not doing that. So <laughs> um, the Holy Spirit comes, though. First part of Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes for the first time to, to men in general. Um, we see in the verses after that that there were no language barriers. So men... Uh, who previously would not have understood one another. Maybe you were speaking Greek and I was speaking Aramaic. We wouldn't have understood each other. Holy Spirit comes, boom, we understand each other. So there's no really language barriers in this, in this context. You see Peter's, Peter's sermon. He gives a very lengthy sermon. You see the crowd's response to his sermon. We can see their response to him. And then we get Peter's response to their response. Okay, so Peter gives a sermon, the crowd responds, then he responds to their response. And then we see what I'm going to label salvation and sanctification. Salvation and sanctification. So we see that some of these people get saved, and then we see immediately what happens, or we see uh, what happens immediately after they're saved. And that's what I'm going to title that sanctification piece, that process of holiness where God has saved them, and now he's growing them to be like him. So, that is the context of this area of Scripture. And I think it's really important. I don't know how y'all are, but like when I'm studying just a small area in Scripture like this, I, I really want to make sure I'm understanding thing in, things in context. So, that's kind of why we went back and looked at that. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 40, it says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And the first thing I saw was Peter's sermon consisted of many other words. And some of those words we don't see. I mean, that's what, what the author of Acts says here. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. So we see some of his sermon, but we don't see all of his sermon. So there's other things that have been proclaimed here and we're, we're not privy to. <clears throat> and we're not going to make them up. I don't know what they were. We don't know what they were, but they were something. All right. Be saved. Be saved is salvation from eternal death, sin, and the punishment and misery which is consequent to sin. It's to save from punitive wrath of God and the judgment of the last day. My question, and I ask a lot of questions, um, my question when seeing this was, okay, we're to be saved. That's what Peter says. Be saved from this perverse generation. Well, we, say, we see that this being saved is from punitive wrath of God. It's from sin. My question is, what sin and why such wrath? What sin and why such wrath? And I think that we're going to look at another word, perverse, here in a second. That's going to help answer some of, that, some of that. But I think it's also good. I know in the song, um, that last one in the chorus was, Holy, Holy, Holy. Um, God is holy, holy, holy. And so it's important for us to understand that because when we look at sin compared to his holiness, he's angry. Um, 
He does not view sin in a positive light. Um, it's something that he gives great wrath towards. And so I think that that helps, that'll help us understand as we're diving in this, in this section um, that God does not like sin. In fact, he will, it, it grieves him greatly. Okay? This word perverse, it means it's a figurative word, and it means wicked or crooked. Wicked or crooked. So what made this generation perverse? What made them wicked? What made them crooked? And the answer can be seen in verse 36. It's their sin did. But 36 says, Peter, this is his sermon, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. They crucified Christ. That's the sin in this context here that that Peter's talking about. They crucified Christ. I think it's also important that we understand that it wasn't just them. Though they, they physically crucified him, they literally crucified him, we have a part in that as well. And we can see that in Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you were a sinner, are a sinner, Christ died for you. So for me, as I'm reading this, I immediately, and I guess pridefully, go, they crucified Christ. They're sinners. That's why he's angry. And then it's like, oh, okay. My next thought was in Romans, and I'm going, oh, I crucified Christ too. And I have a part in that. And so I'm wicked, I'm crooked, in part because I crucified Christ. And there's many other reasons why I'm that way, or it was that way at least, but um, and in God's eyes. But in this context, they're this way because of their crucifixion of Christ. And so what I gathered from this verse here was that we, like these people, have a serious need for salvation. So when we're looking at the church and what it should look like, I think it's important for us to understand that no matter where you are, unbelieving, believing, whether you're in the church today, not the building the church, but the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, if you're a part of that church or if you're not, no matter what, you have a serious need for salvation or you had one. All right, 241. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. This baptism, it's to baptize or immerse in or wash with water in token of purification from sin and spiritual pollution. To baptize or immerse in or wash with water in token of purification from sin and spiritual pollution. They did this out of obedience. We see that in verse 38 here. Peter's response to them, 37 they end it with, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's the crowd's response to Peter. He tells them, hey, you crucified Christ. They go, well, okay, well, what should we do then? And Peter's response is, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And so we see this. They were getting baptized. Remember 40? We see in 40 they get saved. He says, be saved from this perverse generation. Then 41 then those who gladly received his word were baptized. So they received his word salvation. Now they're getting baptized out of obedience. 
And we see in the latter part of 41 here, it says 3,000 souls were added. We see extreme church growth. Extreme church growth. I have not knowingly seen 3,000 people get saved and baptized. I know I haven't seen 3,000 people get baptized. That would have been an awesome event to be a part of. And, um, but it, it definitely happened. Definitely happened in this context. <clears throat> 242. This word continued. They were already doing it and remained doing it. We see, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. This continued. They were already doing it and remained doing it. Continue steadfastly means steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. And this is made by Richard Longenecker. And I must confess to you, um, when I took homiletics, one of the things that they told us when you're quoting somebody is to know who you're quoting because you don't want to quote somebody who's like, teaching false things. I um, must confess to you, this guy did not have a lot of research about him. Um, what I know is I like this quote, and this quote is accurate um, for our purposes. This guy, other things he may not be accurate on. I couldn't really find a whole lot about him, um, but I like this quote, so just heads up. If you reach out and look at him and he's false, I apologize. Um, you were able to find research that I was not able to, so... Congrats on that. Maybe you can teach me something. But uh, this steadfast and single-minded fidelity, fidelity to a certain course of action. So what we see here is this continuing steadfastly. It's, it's a single-minded, focused, faithful approach to things. Okay? And in this, in this uh, quote, it's of a, cert, of a course of action. So when I'm reading this, they had a single-minded, focused, faithful approach to the apostles' doctrine. And that doctrine is teaching or instruction. Teaching or instruction. And what is the apostles' doctrine? It's scripture. It is scripture. In this context, the apostles' doctrine would have been Peter's sermon, which, as we see now, is part of scripture. And so they had these people, they get saved, they get baptized, and we see they continue. They, they remain in the apostles' doctrine. Whoopsie. Oh, my goodness. Done it again. So are we continuing steadfastly in Scripture? Are we continuing steadfastly in Scripture? And as we pose these questions, as we ask ourselves these questions, I want it to be twofold. Um, it was for me. I think it's important that we analyze things on an on a individual basis, but also in a corporate basis. So as I'm looking through these, I'm going... Is Corey continuing steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine? Meaning, am I focused? Am I faithful to God's Word? And then, are we doing that as a body here? And I think that as a body here, we are. We're doing that very well. I think there's a lot of men in this church who lead us in the Apostles' Doctrine, in Scripture, and they do it well. And so, that was kind of what I was looking through. Personally, there's a lot of room for improvement. Fellowship. <clears throat> this is used of an intimate bond of fellowship which unites Christians. 
if I must be honest, as I'm answering the question, are we continuing steadfastly in fellowship? This is a tough one for me. It's really tough. As I look at the landscape of the church today as a whole, um, I see a ton of division. We are divided on so many important things. Social issues, ethical issues, political issues, agendas. The focus should not be on those things. As important as those things are, believe me, I think who is president of this country is a very important thing. But does it trump this? No pun intended. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. I mean, we are supposed to have fellowship with each other. And, and, and this term here is an intimate bond. It's not just a casual like, hey, you know, I know Amanda. I know Chris. They're cool people. I see them on Sunday. I see them on Wednesday. Like, I know Chris and Amanda. Like, I can tell you all kinds of stuff about Chris, but I'll be glad to right after the service is over. Just ask me. But... um. But we have an intimate bond. We have that with each other. But, I mean, as I'm looking out over the room, I, I'm seeing many faces I don't have that with. And that's a problem. I mean, that's a big problem. Because that means that as I'm reading this, my answer to this is no. And it's not like a no. I mean, it's a resounding No. And I'm just telling y'all, Facebook, as evil as it can be, oh my gosh, what are we doing? I mean, we are so divided, not just in this local body, but in, in, in the body as a whole. I mean, we have elevated important things above Scripture, above having an intimate bond with each other. We've allowed what I, would, what I would deem secondary issues, we've allowed those things to be more important than the primary. The primary thing should be obedience. Obedience to Scripture and obedience to Christ. I don't know how y'all feel about this, but I'm just telling you, as I look out, that's how I feel. I'm looking at it going, I'm failing. And I look out and I don't see a lot of success in the church as a whole. We've got to do better. We've got to, and we're, we're going to see the importance of why it's important. There's, it not only impacts us, but it impacts others. It's something we need severe, or at least I need severe improvement on. Breaking of bread. This is the Lord's Supper. This is referencing the Lord's Supper. I think this is crucial because part of the Lord's Supper is, I mean, one of the main emphasis there is to remember what Christ has done for us. It's remembering what Christ has done. And I think that as we do that, continuing in his doctrine, continuing in fellowship with each other, continuing in remembering what he's doing, continuing in prayers becomes a little bit easier. I don't know about y'all, but when I think about Jesus Christ and what he's done for me, it kind of naturally drives me to praise it naturally drives me to his word. When I think about what he's done for me, and you're thinking about what he's doing for you, 
and we're doing that together, it drives that fellowship that we're supposed to be having. So I think this is crucial for remembering what the Lord has done for us. And I would encourage you that I don't, how many times do we do the Lord's Supper here a year? Like four times or so? Three or four? Somewhere in there? I would encourage you not to just remember what Christ has done for you three or four times a year. Um, I, I would personally remember what he does for me every day. I would keep that a focal point um, in, my, in my mind. I don't do it. I should. Are we continuing steadfastly in the Lord's Supper? Is that something we're doing daily? Is that something that we're doing um, on a routine basis? Not only as individuals, but as a church. In prayers. These are prayers addressed to God. I'm going to kind of still... Um, some of what Thad said and probably not give him proper quotes. So if you get angry at what I'm telling you, Thad said it. I just improperly quoted him. Um, <laughs> he's giving me the look. Uh, I mimicked that look last time when you were faking your heart attack and everything. Um, I mimicked that look, so I won't do it today, though. Um, prayers addressed to God. Th- these aren't like, this shouldn't be a Christmas list that you would send to Santa. I mean, th- this should be in, in context. I mean, my goodness, we should spend a lot of time thanking him for what he's done, for, for providing salvation, for sanctifying us. And that, I, I know the more, the more I grow in my personal walk with him, it seems like the more I spend in times of thanksgiving just for what he has done. Uh, and it's becoming more and more natural, which is a good thing. But it needs to be more. I, I mean, I, you can't thank the Lord enough. So these prayers, I think they're focused in, in, in context of what we're seeing here. Um, they're focused prayers. Me, I tend to f- struggle with the focus thing. Um, I received a lot of punishment growing up um, because I just couldn't focus on stuff. Mom and Dad would, hey, focus on this. Okay. That's easy to say, hard for me to do. Um, Focusing on things is difficult for me, especially when you only want me to focus on one. I tend to focus on like 15 things at once and halfway do any of them. Um, and so that's not this, though. Like As I'm praying, it needs to be focused. I need to be solely in tune with the Father. Are we continuing steadfastly in our prayers to God? Is this a single-minded, is this a focused, faithful approach? Those extra words make that difficult, don't they? Focused, faithful. Oh. So I was going through it. I'm like, yeah, I do that. And then I read those words. I'm like, mm, no, I'm not doing that at all. So what should the church look like? Well, we see here the church should continue steadfastly in doctrine. And remember those words, continue steadfastly, single-minded, focused, faithful. The church should continue steadfastly in fellowship. The church should continue steadfastly in the Lord's Supper. And the church should continue steadfastly in prayer. I think it's really awesome to look at this passage here. And see that 
it clearly says, Peter's clearly saying, hey, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. And the question then becomes, okay, we see what we have to do. I mean, remember, this, this wasn't like, hey, y'all should, or they sort of did this. I mean, the author of Acts clearly says this is what the early church was doing. So how do we do this? I mean, to do something is great and wonderful, but how do you do it? I like knowing that too. Well, the first, first part is you must be saved. I mean, Luke starts out with that in his dealings with, with Acts. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly. They didn't start doing this before they were saved. Salvation occurred first. So if you're going to do these things, you must be saved. You must live a life of obedience. These people didn't just wake up and go, meh, I'm going to do these things. They did these things because they were obedient to the Father. So we have to be obedient. And the focus must be right. The focus must be right. Growing up, I loved baseball. I still love baseball. Um, Love baseball. And I would say, do you all agree, I was pretty focused on baseball for a while. I was so focused on baseball that um, we had a, grew up in a white house, and I kind of sort of spray painted a circle, a black circle on the side of the house, about that big around because I wanted to be accurate with my throws. And no one would catch with me at times. And because I was so focused on baseball, I did it more than anyone else. So, hey, Dad told me, if you're going to be good at something, you got to practice. So I did what Dad said. I painted a black circle on the side of the house. I still don't understand why y'all got so angry. And I was just doing what I was told to do, sort of. And uh, I would throw that ball up against the side of the house just all the time. Didn't matter if it was a tennis ball, if it was a baseball. I preferred the baseball, though mom did not. She would always come out about the second or third throw. That's beating on the house. Stop. So she did not sound like that either. It was much worse and scarier. But I was focused. I was focused on baseball. I was focused on hitting that mark. I had identified what I needed to do. And I was trying my hardest to do it. Now, granted, that shouldn't be how we approach the Christian life. If you're going to identify your mark and you're going to try your hardest, my goodness, you're going to fail. I mean, let's be honest. We're all sinners and we're all failures. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to start hitting that mark more and more. And the good news is, is that he is so faithful to forgive every time that ball bounces outside of that mark. I know he has been in my life. My encouragement would be that we do these things. We continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine in Scripture. We continue steadfastly in fellowship with one another. We continue steadfastly in the Lord's Supper in remembering what Christ has done for us. And we continue steadfastly in prayers to the Father. When we do these things, what we're going to see... Verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. I see joy. 
see a lot of joy, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This process is going to impact us as individuals. It's going to bring joy to our hearts, to our lives. Outside, this becomes an evangelism tool. I mean, you see it here. God is using the early church here and their actions to save other people. And in this context, he was adding to the church daily. We want to see extreme church growth, not just locally, but corporately. We have to be committed to these things. You want more joy in your life? You have to be committed to these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Lord, you knew I was not focused coming in today. Thank you for fixing that. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ability to fellowship with my brothers and sisters, not because of similarities that we have or we like each other, but through you, through your work, through the power of you. Thank you for instituting the Lord's Supper so that I can be reminded to remember you. Thank you for prayers, for opening up the avenue to communicate with you. Lord, and thank you for forgiveness when I don't do any of those. Lord, you are a good, good father. Lord, I'm thankful for who you are. Lord, that you have no rival, no equal, that you're holy, holy, holy. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength, grace, and mercy to do these things. Lord, help remind us that these things aren't negotiable. Lord, if we want to please you, we can do these things. And we know it will. Father, thank you for clearly laying out things for us to do so that we know what to do. Lord, you are good and your ways are good. Pray that our worship would be honoring and glorifying to you. Lord, we love you and we trust you. It's in your perfect and holy, holy, holy name that I pray. Amen. If y'all stand with us as we sing our last song.
Amen. We appreciate these guys, don't we? They did a great job this morning. Thank you, praise team. Take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 2. <laughs> uh, thank you, Corey, for that. And, um, you know, I was thinking as he was going through those four, you know, um, commands there in Acts 2.42, um, that's what they really were in terms of what the Lord expected. They're illustrated through the rest of Acts. And so it's got just some walking for you to do. So I guess if you have nothing to do this afternoon, you can walk through the rest of Acts. And you'll see those principles applied with the apostles. So thank you, Corey, for your instruction uh, this morning. And, uh, you know, we've never done an excommunication uh, here at Grace, but Chris, <laughs> you'll be the first. <laughs> Oh my goodness, well we appreciate the 412 ministry, don't we, here at Grace, they're very blessed to have a good solid Bible teaching and a great worship, I would encourage you sometime to come up and visit on Wednesday night, I know they'd love to see you in there and um, just to see what they do and the, the young people are wonderful to be around and we appreciate the youth leaders, all of them and those who help in that ministry, we're very blessed at Grace to have a solid youth ministry. I know the parents and grandparents are thankful for that. So thank you guys for this morning. Uh, why don't we uh, stand and let's close in a word of prayer. So Lord, we do thank you for the example um, in the early church, the commitment that they had to teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. We thank you for the personal uh, reflection that um, we can have this afternoon and this week in those areas of our lives, as Corey said, personally, but not only personally, as a, as a body of believers, I think we do pretty well here at Grace with those things, but Lord, we need you to constantly remind us of the things that we already know. And so we just thank you so much for that reminder this morning. Thank you for uh, the praise band and Lord, just for their preparation and time in leading us in worship uh, this morning. And I just continue to pray for the 412 ministry, Lord, that uh, I just thank you, Lord, that it reaches beyond even these walls uh, to many students that um, don't attend here regularly. So we're thankful for that ministry. We continue to pray for your leading and your guiding in that ministry. And Lord, most of all today, may your name be praised. And it's in Christ's name I pray all of these things. Amen. You're dismissed.